Well, by definition, freedom is a state in which one is capable of performing actions according to their own wishes without external compulsions. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then does anyone ever truly experience freedom? After all, who does anything, right? Who does anything without external compulsions? I mean, that would mean our decisions are never influenced by outside forces, which is never true, right? We're free to make our own choices, but our choices are always influenced by other things. That's why when the Bible talks about freedom, it always speaks of it or often speaks of it in the connection with slavery, (laughs) which sounds odd, right? Because isn't slavery the opposite of freedom? Well, not necessarily, and here's why. At the end of the day, everyone is a slave to something, okay? At the end of the day, everyone is a slave to something. Some people are a slave to work. Their whole identity is built around their productivity. Their self-worth is determined by their success. Who they are is ruled by what they do. Everyone is a slave to something. Some people are slaves to possessions. Their identity is built on what they own. Their self-worth is determined by the car they drive, the house that they live in or the clothes that they wear. So really, they don't own their possessions. Truth of the matter is, their possessions own them. Everyone's a slave to something. Some people are slaves to relationships. Their identity is built around the opinions of other people. Their self-worth is determined by the approval of a a friend, of a parent, of a child. They are ruled by a need for everything affirmation and approval from other people. Everyone is a slave to something. And so from a biblical perspective, freedom ultimately is the ability to choose the one whom you will serve. In other words, you have the freedom to choose your own master. And as Jesus reminded us, you can only pick one because no one can serve two masters. He will either be Hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Everyone is a slave to something. So it's important for us to accept that ultimately, we are not in control. But here's the good news. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you do have the freedom to choose who will control you. Everyone is a slave to something, but you have the freedom to choose. So before we look at God's word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for making freedom in Christ possible. But at the same time, I don't know that we fully comprehend what that means. What does it mean to be free in Christ? Lord, as we look at your word this morning, would you enlighten our hearts? Would you renew our minds? Would you guide us to your truth in ways that shapes how we live, how we think, and what we do? Use your word to transform our hearts this morning. We know that your spirit is at work within us and your truth has the power to transform. So let it be, Lord. That is our prayer. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
So turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. We'll pick up where we left off last in verse 15. So Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Paul asks this question, beginning in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Just like we saw at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul asked this question in reference to a statement he had made earlier. And for this particular question, he's referring back to verse 14, where Paul says, For sin shall not be at, uh, master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And last week we talked about what Paul means when he said that. To be under the law is to, be, to live under the rule of all. It, it, you know that it is a, a kingdom, as we talked about. It's a kingdom of condemnation. Why? It's because you can never, ever measure up. The law is a curse to everyone who cannot fulfill it, and no one can fulfill it. So the law ultimately exposes the sin that rules our life. But grace, now grace is completely different. Because in grace, you are set free from sin's dominion. Why? Because Jesus removed the curse of the law through his death on the cross. And that's why Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that begs the question. So if there's no condemnation for our sin, does that mean we have the freedom of sin without consequence? It's a logical question. And Paul gives a very definitive answer, doesn't he? May it never be. The other translations of the Bible would say the same thing. By no means. God forbid. Absolutely not. And then Paul follows that statement with a question, just like he did the first time, by asking, do you not know? Now, that's an important question, as we said last time, because what we know to be true is that our belief is what drives our behavior. Our actions flow out of our convictions. And wrong thinking always leads to bad decisions. And so Paul wants us to understand what it means to walk in faithful obedience. And he really simplifies it for us here, doesn't he? He narrows it down to two possible options. He says everyone is a slave to something. So either you are a slave to sin or you are a slave to God. Those are only two options. One path leads to destruction. The other path leads to redemption. And I want you to notice here that your freedom is your ability to choose who you will serve. The reason we can say that's true is because it says you present yourself. You make the willful decision to present yourself. In other words, you're willfully volunteering your services, much like you might enlist in the military. You're contributing to the cause of the one you are choosing to follow. But Paul says, pay attention. Pay attention to what you're signing up for. Because one of those will lead you to death, and the outcome of the other one is righteousness. Be careful and look at what you're signing up for. The key here is to understand that your obedience is ultimately a decision of surrender. 
We are not in control. But as a Christian, you can choose who will control you. And grace gives you the freedom to follow God, allowing His righteousness to rule in your life. And praise the Lord that that freedom exists. Amen? Look at how he continues in verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God, though you were slaves to sin when you didn't have a choice, you became obedient from the heart of the, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, if faithful obedience was the result of something that we could take credit for, Paul would have written in this passage, give praise to yourself for all the good decisions that you've made. (laughs) But that's not what he says here. He said, give thanks be to God. Because the freedom to obey comes from a miraculous transformation that takes place in your heart. It's based on a a teaching, a truth that has the power to change your heart. And the only truth that has the power to do something like that is the truth of the gospel. So Paul says you are obedient in your heart to this particular form of teaching. Now when he chooses that word form here, he's pointing to something like a mold. Okay, Something that is a pattern of teaching that has the power to shape your life. It forms your opinions. It influences your behaviors. We don't just learn what it says. We become what it says. That's the power of this teaching. But the fact of the matter is, we encounter different forms of teaching every single day. And they all have the same effect. They shape our opinions. They determine our behaviors. We are free to make choices, but our choices are never free from the influence of things happening around us. Every day, don't miss this, every single day, you are being taught someone's opinion of truth. You're being taught by your social media. Every time you flip through, you are being taught someone's opinion of truth. Every time you turn on the news media... Every single time you listen, you're hearing someone's opinion of truth. It even happens in sitcoms and in commercials. Every single time, you're being taught someone's opinion of truth. There is no input that is neutral in our world today, which is why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because at any given moment, one of those two things is happening and there's no other alternative. You are either being conformed by the world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so let's think about what, that exa- what that's saying. To be conformed is to live a lifestyle that looks like everyone else. You conform, you fit in. You can hear it in your language. You can see it in your appearance. You can observe it in your opinions. You simply adopt the ideas and beliefs of the world around you. To be conformed is to be squeezed into the mold of popular thinking. That's what it means to be conformed. 
but to be transformed is altogether different, literally. In fact, the Greek word used here for transform is where we get our English word metamorphosis. So think caterpillar turning into butterfly, right? A complete transformation from one thing into something completely different than what it was before. And notice how this happens. It says it takes place by the renewing of your mind. So you're committing yourself to a pattern of teaching that shapes how you live. Not just learning what it says, but becoming what it says. See, the fact of the matter is, we don't have to work to sin, right? It comes naturally. At least it does for me. Maybe I'm the only one, but it just can happen without even thinking about it. And there's no shortage of influences in our world today that invite you into compromise. But here's the good news. The gospel, the truth of the gospel is what transforms your heart. And here's what happens. It changes the desires of your heart. It gives you both the freedom and the power to obey the truth of God's Word, a truth that transforms your life into something new, something beautiful. Look at how it continues in verse 19. It says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, when you had no choice, when you were ruled by sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. And the outcome? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, every illustration has its limitations, right? Everyone that I give, everyone you've ever heard, every illustration has its limitation. And that's really the point that Paul is trying to make here. He's using slavery as an illustration, but if you're not careful, it can be misleading because slavery is often humiliating, right? It's dehumanizing. But being a slave to righteousness is the most liberating thing a person could ever experience. Instead of being dehumanizing, it's actually how humanity becomes everything God created them to be. And so Paul wants to be clear here that he's using slavery to help us understand that we all serve something. Everyone is committed to a cause. Everyone lives under someone's authority. Everyone is a slave to something. We only choose whom we will serve. Paul says it's wise to make that choice based on the end result. He says, when we were slaves to impurity and in lawlessness, and notice he says, when we were, because it's true for all of us. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all once enslaved to the power of sin. And he says, when that was true, our lawlessness only led to further lawlessness. 
It only got worse with time. It was a downward spiral towards destruction. Now, we all know from our experience it promises to be different every time, right? But does it ever happen? No. It's like a drug addiction where despite our efforts to get more and more, it only delivers less and less. But our decision of compromise is what always leads us to further compromise. It gains momentum over time. Again, we know this to be true. And we see examples of this in Scripture as well. Take, for example, David. So Scripture tells us is that when David's armies went out to battle, he stayed home in his palace. Now that was a compromise. Because David should have been in battle with his men, but he chose to stay home in the comfort of his palace. And when he did, he chose to walk onto the roof and purvey the city that he had built. And when he did, he looked upon a woman named Bathsheba. And there was impurity in his eyes. And that impurity led to adultery. And that adultery led to murder. A compromise is a spiraling decline towards destruction. When sin is your master, that's what happens. It promises blessing, but only brings a curse. And to be honest here, I don't think we really have to argue this point very hard because we've all experienced the truth of its reality. We've all been there, right? We've all gone our own way, and we all know it doesn't end well. We can speak from that experience. And so Paul, knowing that's true, is inviting us as believers in Jesus Christ to something different. Because where sin is a downward spiral, righteousness leads to redemption. And Paul says that righteousness results in sanctification. Now that's a a really big word, but I want you to know at the heart of that word is the idea of renewal. So take hold of that. The heart of the word sanctification is the idea of renewal. So if sin is destructive, then righteousness is redemptive. It's renewing. It brings, as the scripture tells us, beauty from ashes. That's what it does. It makes all things new. It brings renewal. It brings dead things to life. And so Paul instructs us to to make our decisions based on the end result in mind. Because here's the reality. We all have legitimate needs. We have emotional needs. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. That's actually part of God's design. It's a distinctive part of what it means to be human. But here's what sin does. Sin leads us to fill those legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Remember earlier in Romans when Paul began writing, he talked about how we exchange the truth of God for a lie. That we worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. And so when we work against God's design, it brings in within us a sense of, of shame and of guilt. Something that within us is, basically tells us this is not the way it was supposed to be. And Why? It's because everything that we're pursuing that promises to satisfy only leaves us feeling empty. It's not the way it's supposed to be. 
And if we continue down that path, Paul says it leads to death. We move farther and farther away from that which gives us life. Because the bottom line is this, and don't miss it. You and I, we are a very poor judge of what's best for us. We are a very poor judge of what's best for us. Now, we think we know what's best for us, but the fact of the matter is, we are a very poor judge of what's best for us. And here's why. You will only find life when you let God lead you there. Obedience to God is the only path to true freedom. It's a decision to trust in Him more than you trust yourself. To, to believe that he's, His desire is to help you become everything He created you to be. But He can only do that when you put your trust in Him. Choosing to serve Him among all the other masters that are available to you. So don't look to obedience as a burden. Sometimes we do that, right? Oh, we got to obey. No, you look at it as a blessing. You have the freedom to obey. You can choose to present yourself to God, to allow your life to be used for His purpose, His redemptive work in the world around us. And I want you to know, when that's your decision, that's ultimately when you truly come alive. There was a time several years ago at the Cowboy Symposium here in Lubbock. I love the Cowboy Symposium. And, and it's, I've only seen this demonstration one time. But this particular year, it was kind of out in the outdoor exhibits where they have the cowboy cook-off and all those things that are going on. So there's no fences. There's lots of people. But on this particular day, they had a demonstration, and they had about 15 or 20 sheep, okay? No fences, lots of people, 15 or 20 sheep. One sheepdog and one shepherd. And I mean to tell you, that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Because that sheepdog fixed his eyes on that shepherd. And that shepherd would maybe make a, a move with his hand or a whistle with his mouth. And that sheepdog knew exactly what he wanted him to do. And it was like he was having the best day of his life, right? And I mean, those sheep wanted to go a thousand different directions, but none of them straight away. It was incredible. Well, Elizabeth Elliot actually experienced something similar in her lifetime. And since she's more eloquent than I am, I'm going to let you hear her words as she described what she saw. But I want you to know, when I read this, I was like, that's it. That's what I saw. Here's what she says. She says, I saw two creatures who were in their fullest sense in their glory. A man who had given his life to sheep, who loved them and loved his dog, a dog whose trust in man was absolute, whose obedience was instant and unconditional, whose meat and drink was to do the will of his master. As one of the early church fathers said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And I want you to know that is God's ultimate desire for you. He wants you to be fully alive as He created you to be in life-giving fellowship with Him. And obedience is the pathway for that to happen. But our trust must be absolute. Our obedience, instant and unconditional, the very meat and drink is to do the will of our Father. That's what it looks like. 
Why? Because only this master can lead you to become everything he created you to be. And Paul then finishes with that very familiar passage in Romans 6, 23. Very simple and concise, but it really sums up everything that he said so far. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to notice here, because sometimes it's so familiar we miss important details, right? I want you to notice that it says that death is a payment. It talks about the wages of sin is death. That's, that's a payment. It's a price. It's the price of a, of a life that is ruled by sin. It's something we earn because of willful decisions that we make. But grace is different. It says eternal life is a gift. It's not anything that we deserve or can earn in the least. Instead, it's something that you have to receive. And it tells us it can only be received through faith in Christ who you believe accomplished what you could never do on your own. That's what you believe. It's a gift. And so with that in mind, I want to close with something I would ask that you consider this week. Grant and I are reading a book called The Student's Guide to Culture. And I'm enjoying it. I hope he is, but I'm actually very fascinated by it. I think it's incredibly insightful and helpful. Early in the book, he talks about what it means to be shaped by the culture. And he makes the argument that we all want to share our opinion on things that hit the headlines, things like racial justice or gender identity or or right to life, and all those things are important. But he makes the point that oftentimes we have opinions on those ideas, but we don't stop to think about the undercurrent of society that shapes those opinions. He says the undercurrent is what is hidden in what we consider to be a normal part of life, things that we don't even think about. He uses the example of cell phones. He says they become a normal part of life, right? Everybody has a cell phone and you don't even think about it. But he asks the question, how many of you, when you went and bought a cell phone, stopped for a minute to think, you know, I wonder how this device is going to shape my heart and my mind. I wonder if it could be harmful in any way? Anybody do that? Nobody does that. It's a normal part of life. Everybody has one. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it's harmless. In fact, listen to what C.S. Lewis once said. He says, the most dangerous, don't miss this, this is important, the most dangerous ideas in society are not the ones that are being argued but the ones that are being assumed, the undercurrent. And listen, I'm not in any way suggesting that phones are inherently evil because they're not, okay? But what I am saying is they're not harmless either. They absolutely have the power to shape how you live and the opinions that you form. And we have to be mindful of what enters our mind And we need to understand that choosing not to choose is a choice. So let me encourage you to do a little practice this week. And you can do this as a family. You can do it as a small group. Uh, I know there's some college students here. Sit down, grab a cup of coffee, and have this discussion with each other. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a piece of paper. And this is what I'm going to call your input inventory. 
okay? I just made that up, so there's nothing special about it. It's your input inventory. But here's what I want you to do. On the front side of that piece of paper, I want you to list all the things that you encounter on a daily basis that have some kind of influence in your life. List out TV shows that you watch. List out movies that you enjoy. List out social media that you follow. Maybe books that you read. Even people that you spend time with. Just list them out on that front page. And as you do, generally speaking, kind of what's the primary message that you're getting from each of those things? On one side of the paper, kind of create an inventory. And the other thing that I want you to do is I want you to look at and consider how much time those things occupy in your average day. And here's something that's easy. If you have a cell phone, if, particularly if it's an iPhone, look at your screen time. Just look at how many hours a day that input is entering into you and then add that to the other things that bring influence into your life. TVs and movies and different things. And then once you're done, just take that page and flip it over on the other side, okay? And so on this side, I want to encourage you to write down all the ways God's Word impacts and influences your life, okay? It could be things like coming to church on Sunday morning, okay? Hearing God's Word, singing God's Word together. If you're involved in a small group, it might include being involved in a small group, or it could be the individual time that you spend just reflecting and reading God's Word. I would even include just time that you're spending out in nature, just enjoying God's creation. And so, generally speaking, as you look at that list, how much do those things, how much time do they occupy in your daily life? Finish by having a conversation about what shapes you most. The front side or the back side? And then you can help answer that question a little easier. Are you being conformed into the ways of this world or are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Because that's what each side of the paper represents. One is being conformed and the other one is being transformed. And just remember that ultimately we are not in control, but here's the blessed news of the gospel. When you are in Christ, you have the choice, the freedom to choose who will control you. Everyone is a slave to something, but you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, have the freedom to choose who that will be. Who will you serve? Who will be your master? Who do you delight in carrying out their cause? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for that truth of your word and just for helping us understand what it means to have freedom. We're free to choose, but what does that mean? So Lord, I just pray that we understand even more today that we're all a slave to something. And so that freedom is a freedom to choose who we serve. And Lord, remind us, help us to see the fact that serving you is the only thing that leads us to what ultimately we were created for. That life-giving relationship with you is the only way that we become fully alive. Everything else leaves us feeling empty and discouraged, but you make all things new. So Lord, may we rejoice in the truth of this gospel, this gospel that shapes how we live, how we think, how we behave. 
ways that bring glory and honor to you, whom we serve to carry out your kingdom purposes in this world in which we live. So we pray this in your name. Amen. If you would stand, let's sing together. I want you to be encouraged because even as you make that list and you see things on that front side of the page and you think, eh, it's probably not the way it's supposed to be. I just want you to know that nothing on that page has the power to control you. That in Christ, you have the power to break free from anything that separates you from the love of Christ. That in Christ, you have the ability to trust in Him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So let me just encourage you, when you go before the Lord this week, just tell Him from the deepest part of your heart, I I belong to you. I'm yours. And that's a good thing. My desire is to follow you and to trust in you. And that desire ultimately comes from you. Because that's what it means to be a child of God and to belong to you. So lead me in your everlasting way. Help me not to trust in my own way, but to lead me into your everlasting way. It's a beautiful thing when you belong to the one who gave his life to set you free. So I pray that you live in that freedom and rejoice in that freedom this week. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being together today, for the beauty of gathering as your people, rejoicing of your goodness and all that your grace has made possible, not because of what we deserve. We know what we've earned, but you've made clear what you've given as a gift through salvation in your Son who has come to set us free and to live in the beauty and glory of obedience so that we become everything you've created us to be. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.